So the next section we're going to look at is information management. And there's one component to the section 6.4, which is explain an information management process, including collection, storage, curation, dissemination, archiving, and ultimately destruction of information. So the next item that we look at is information management, which is the collection, the storage, the dissemination, the archiving, and ultimately the destruction of information. That comes right from APM's definition. So let's investigate that a bit further. So putting some rigor into information management really helps with a couple common problems that happen with projects. And I think we've all seen scenarios in which a number of different team members arrive to a project meeting with different versions of the same document. Then confusion starts to creep into the process because people realize they don't have the most updated version and the meaning of the meeting starts to get lost. Additionally, it also addresses a problem in which key documents, important documents, are stored on team members' C drives. And if someone goes off sick, you can't get access to them. So having a robust information management process in play will help mitigate the damage that that can cause a project. The information you'll be managing will be, the plan on how to do that will be set about within definition. And you'll need to have access to knowledge bases within your organization, such as pricing and past contracts, past cost budgets, schedules, code libraries, etc. All that documentation, you have to plan how you're going to keep it, how you're going to disseminate it, and how you're going to manage it. All documentation created for the PMP in general during the development stage might need to be managed, such as status report, test plans, results of tests, audits, etc. These is all, this is all the kind of information that a project team will need to manage as part of an information management process. So information involves five steps, and we'll go through each of these steps one at a time. We have collection, we have storage and curation, we have dissemination and distribution, archiving, and ultimately we have destruction at the end. So let's take a deeper dive in and find out what each of these means specifically. So collection means just that is getting the information that you need from the project as it becomes available and collecting it. So this can be things like scans that have gone in for key documents that have been signed, downloads of documents as they've come in. It is the act of actually collecting the information itself. Storage and curation is storing that information and making sure that this is done to good practice. So if it's a hard copy and these are key legal documents, they're stored and secured in an area that might be in a fireproof case, for example. Or if you're storing them on the cloud, making sure that the right security is in effect so that this doesn't become part of common knowledge. Dissemination and distribution is recording when that information has been sent and to whom, and what version was sent to whom. Archiving is using, for example, a bonded warehouse for paper documentation or electronic equivalent so that the documentation is stored for the amount of time that's required by regulatory requirements. So for example, banking information needs to be stored for, for an example for five years. So making sure that your archiving is equipped to do that and meet that requirement. And destruction, so sensitive information, can be destroyed in a controlled way shredding or physically destroying hard work drives and the like, so that sensitive information doesn't get out to the general population. Part six is reporting. And there's one element to this, which is 6.5. And this is to explain factors which typically would be reported on 
to help ensure successful project outcomes. Project reporting is done to ensure that the confidence of key stakeholders is maintained throughout the life cycle of the project and for management control and for the governance process of it. Planning is done in the project management plan. So how you're going to do your reporting is found there. And it is found specifically in a subsidiary of the PMP called the communication plan. So it is good practice to assure that your status reports are integrated. And what I mean by status reports, so if you say in your in your communication plan that you're going to have a weekly status report, for example, and a monthly uh, progress report, integration would mean that it encompasses the different components of the project. There is something in there about schedule. There's something in there about cost. There's information about how you're doing against your risks, what milestones that you've achieved, what key decisions need to be made. It's an integrated status report, so it is reflecting all the different elements that are being managed on the project itself. So factors that can typically be reported on is progress against the schedule, actual spend versus planned spend, quality approvals, so any audits that have taken place or testing results are often found in reporting, and then stakeholder engagement, how things are going with engaging with your stakeholders. If you have the general public identified as a category of one of your stakeholders and you need to petition in order to do builds, how is that progressing? What kind of feedback are you getting from those stakeholders can have a big impact on how the project will progress and is vital information for stakeholders to know to help manage and control the project properly. So the information in project reports contributes to the project's success by allowing stakeholders to understand how much the project is achieving and how this compares to what was planned in the baseline. So this enables for realistic forecasts, a final completion, so you can do reforecasts if the project is going quicker or slower than what was expected at the end of definition in your baseline. You can make corrective actions in order to, to move that forward and base this on the latest data. It enables trends to be taken into account. So if you're having testing issues and always at certain times and in certain processes, there's always the same errors, you can investigate those trends and try to find the root cause to address them so that you can eradicate the issues and allow you to hand that product over to business as usual. It can trigger change control, so changes in scope. And this is particularly important when it comes to iterative projects. We are always looking to refine and improve what you're making. By making reports, it gives ideas to your stakeholders on what additional scope could go in. Or if there is reports on scope, and they review those reports and they think, oh, we might miss the deadline. Maybe we'll move some of the scope out in order to make sure that we meet a fixed deadline. This information from reporting can really help better manage a project and inform key decision making. And it also sets expectations so that there isn't those surprises. So the stakeholders might have signed off for a budget of say 1.4 million at the end of the definition phase. You don't wait till the end of development to say that's actually going to be 2.8 million. Incrementally through status reporting, you will show them that you are going over schedule and allow them the opportunity to make decisions and take corrective actions as the project progresses. The next item that we're going to look at is earned value management or EVM. And there's two elements to know about EVM. 6.13 is explain why a project manager would use earned value management. So that's one of the criteria. 
And 6.14 is to interpret earned value data, including variances and performance index. No calculations are required, which is a good thing. You just like with net present value and with internal rate of return, what we're looking here is that you understand the concepts. You grasp what earned value management means, what it is used for, and what advantages it can bring to a project. So let's look at earned value management and try to define what it is. So I'll read the definition from APM, and then we'll pick that definition apart, elaborate on it so we get a full understanding of what this means. So EVM, using APM's definition, is a project control process based on a structured approach to planning, cost collection, and performance measurement. It facilitates the integration of project scope, time, and cost objectives, and the establishment of a baseline plan of performance measurement. That's the definition that comes from APM. So let's look at this. I think the first place to start with EVM is what do those three words mean? Earned value management. Let's take the middle word first. We'll go slightly out of sequence. Value. In the world of EVM, what is defined as value? What does value mean? Value in this context is the overall budget of a project. So if you, at the end of definition, come up with a cost baseline and get signed off and improved by your sponsor in the steering group, and that cost baseline is $2 million, that's your project budget, the value of your project is $2 million. That's what value and earned value management means. It is the total of your budget. It doesn't have anything to do with benefits or the business case or return on investment. All of those things are not seen by earned value. It is not part of the equation. It is simply your budget. And in our case, this budget was $2 million. Your value is $2 million. So let's take another word then as part of earned value management. Let's take the first word now, which is earned. What is meant by earned in the context of earned value management? Earned is percentage complete. So using this project as a guide, the value is $2 million. If you're halfway through, if your percentage complete is 50%, you've earned £1 million. So you earn value by getting things done, by percentage complete against your budget. When you are 100% of the way through a £2 million project, you have earned £2 million. Nothing to do with benefits, nothing to do with any training that might have happened, any good things that happened from the project. All of those things are not part of this management method. It's simply the percentage complete, how much work that you have done compared to the overall value of the project, which is your budget. So 10% of the way through a £1 million project, 100,000 pounds. You've earned 100,000. So that's what earned value means. Management tells you that earned value isn't just a term. It isn't just percentage complete versus your budget. It's an overarching management system that allows you to look at both cost and schedule as well as looking at scope because that's your percentage complete. And it has three elements. You can plan with it. You can help establish baselines with it. You can forecast with it, which means you can look into the future. 
And the other thing you can do is you can use it for status reports. You can take a snapshot of a moment in time and say, our earned value is this number to give people an indication, sort of like the KPIs, a key performance indicator. Earned value management falls into that. The numbers that come back are KPIs. They're indicators as to whether or not you're going to meet the project success criteria. So it is a management method that is available to you for scope, time, and cost. And it has a planning element, a reporting status element, as well as the ability to forecast or look into the future. One of the elements that you have to remember about earned value is that a project spend is an S-curve. So at the very beginning of a project, the spend is little because you, it is a sponsor and a project manager and maybe a small team of experts coming up with an initial business case. As you work your way into deployment, the spend is going to increase rapidly because that is where you're going to be, have an approval to go out and actually spend money on capital items and filling out time cards. And you'll have a larger team filling out those time cards and generating quite a bit of spend. As the project moves towards its completion and you get towards handover, much of, those, of that team is going to go back to other projects or go back to their functional line managers. So this, and the capital items would have already been purchased. So the spend will level off. When you're doing earned value management, you have to know the precise times in which your spend is going to be high and when it's going to be low because otherwise the values will be thrown off over time. So you have to be very judicious and intelligent as to when you do earn value management at what point in time you do them. So if we take some examples, just some very, very simple examples to try to illustrate this in practice, and I would invite you to look into the PMQ book because we have examples that are available there that might help formulate this. But to give you some background and some initial information to help you in that journey, let's look at some very simple examples. So let's take a very easy project. Let's take one where we're building 10 kilometers of highway in 10 months. And this is going to be done at a rate of one kilometer per month. And that's kind of helpful information. So we've got some scope here. The scope is 10 kilometers of highway. And we've got our schedule baseline as well. We have to do this in 10 months. So we've got scope and we've got schedule. The next thing is cost. We have an agreed budget. Let's pull a number out of 100 million. So we have to, within 100 million, with a budget of 100 million pounds, create 10 kilometers of highway within 10 months. So right now we have our cost baseline, we have our scope baseline, and we have our schedule baseline. So what happens is that for every month, we complete 10% of the work. So we have earned, in this case, for every kilometer that we create, every time we're done with 10%, we've earned 10 million. So our earned value is 10 million for every month. That is the rate that we should go at. So that is what our stakeholders is expecting. They're expecting at the end of month one, someone were to ask the project manager in an elevator, what's your earned value? The answer that that stakeholder is expecting is 10 million because 10 million is 10% of the way through a $100 million project. They should have earned 10 million at that point. It gets interesting when they say things like 5 million, which would mean that they're behind they haven't earned as much value as expected. And this allows you to start seeing how you can use this as a status report and as a decision-making data 
for corrective actions to try to get a project that's behind back on track. So if we look at this project, after five months, there's a review. So the project team is brought into a board review halfway through, and the stakeholders want to know, where are we? How are we doing against scope? How are we doing against schedule? And how are we doing against budget? So the project manager gathers information in anticipation of this meeting. And the information that's gathered is after five months, halfway through, they've created four kilometers of highway. So they have earned 40 million. So the earned value is 40 million. But we expected the earned value to be higher than that because we're halfway through a $100 million project. So we expected the earned value to be at 50 million. So what this tells us right away, if the stakeholders understand earned value, is that we're a little bit behind. We are laying four kilometers of highway when we should have laid five. We've earned 40 million in earned value. We should have earned 50 million. So that shows you that you are behind. That's what that component of earned value would say. The other thing that they'll ask next is, well, what did you spend? What did you actually spend to get this four kilometers of highway done? So the actual spend you would get from your finance team, there's no equation to use here. You would simply have to go through the receipts and the time cards of everything that you've purchased and all the work that has been done. And in this scenario, this status report says that the actual spend is 30 million, which is good news. Because what that tells the project team, as well as your key stakeholders, is that you're spending less than you expected. Your earned value should be 50 million. You've, you've actually earned 40, so you're behind. But we had expected to spend 50 million at this point. We expected to have spent half of the budget. We've only spent 30 million. So you can see by using earned value, you can start to get an understanding of schedule, scope, and cost. So what I would invite you to do is to look at these examples in your PMQ book, work those through, start practicing those. You don't need to know the equations, but the concept behind it. And the concepts being that is if your actual cost, what you've actually spent, is lower than your plan cost, you're underspending. If your earned value is lower than your expected value at that point, you're behind on schedule. The other component of earned value, so that's a status report that you would give to a board, is coming up with forecasts of what the project will actually complete on as far as cost and as far as schedule. So given the data and how the project is running, the stakeholders will naturally want to ask, okay, we said this would be done in 10 months. When is this actually going to be finished? You, we said that this was going to be a $100 million project. What is the actual budget going to be at the end? And we use formulas for things like cost performance indexes, cost variances, and schedule performance indexes that can help indicate and project and forecast how a project is going to come out at the end. So it, it becomes a forecasting tool. You can't use earned value management as a forecasting tool at the beginning of the project like you can with, say, analogous estimating. You need data 
in order to do this. You need to have had the project team working for some time. But once you have captured some of that data, you then can use this to formulate estimates on what happens in the future. So in the PMQ book, you will see examples of how all of this goes together. What we'll go over now is just a couple of the key concepts. So the performance indexes, there's CPI, cost performance indexes, and there's SPI, which are schedule performance indexes. With these two indexes, the rule of thumb is if those indexes come out to be zero, that means that you are right on budget or right on schedule. So if your CPI, cost performance index, is zero, that indicates that you are coming out right on budget. In the example of our highways, that would indicate that your spend will be 100 million because that was the initial budget. With SPI, Schedule Performance Index, it's the same thing. If it is zero, it means that you're projected to come out directly on schedule. So if you said, like in this example, that the project will end in 10 months, zero would indicate you are projecting to finish exactly in 10 months. If the number is below one, so if your CPI, for example, is 0.8, that means that you are overspending. You're only getting 80 pence on the pound. You are working your way towards an overspend. And you can use that number in order to try to understand what the final budget will be, how much over you're going to be. If the number is one point something, like 1.2, that means that you are getting value for your money. You're getting more work done than you expected. You're earning more value, 20% more value. And you can use that information to try to project what your overall budget will be at the end as well. You can use that information to forecast. Same thing with schedule. So if your schedule is 0.9, that means for every 10 days, you're doing nine days worth of work. It's lower than one. It shows you're behind. Anytime that you're above one, like 1.1 or 1.2, that means you're ahead of schedule. You're going faster than what was projected in your schedule baseline. So those are just some key concepts to know between SPI and CPI. Zero, right on time or right on budget. Point something would mean that you're behind or heading for an overspend. One point something would mean that you're ahead of schedule or you're going to come in under budget. You're performing well. So there's some examples available to you in your PMQ book for earned value management. I would invite you to take a look through those. It is one of those processes that can take a little bit of time to learn, but I hope we're able to cover the key concepts of what it is and how it can be used. So just to summarize that, it is a forecasting tool. It is a tool that can allow status reports, and it is a planning tool. It works for cost, schedule, as well as money. So all of those elements can be built into earned value. And earned value itself is percentage complete against your budget. So if you have a $1 million project and you're 50% done, your earned value is 500,000. Let's look at some of the reasons to consider earned value management. Why is it a good thing? Why is it a good tool? It's a good tool for a number of reasons. Um, one of them is it necessitates planning. It facilitates planning. In order for earned value to work, you need to establish a cost baseline as well as a schedule baseline. And that can only be done with proper planning. So your team will be focused on trying to get an accurate schedule and an accurate budget in which to 
measure the project against as it starts to move its way through its life cycle. As a project starts to move its way through the life cycle, you can take status reports using earned value formula, things like SPI and CPI. That will tell your stakeholders exactly where a project is at any moment in time. It allows for data to be considered in order for management to take corrective actions if the project is falling behind or if the project is heading for an overspend. It also allows a project manager to do quick formulas in order to forecast where a project will end up in the future. So earned value management can look into the future. So you base future estimates on current performance. So if the project team is working slower than expected, you can use that data in order to forecast where the project may end up. So if the project, for example, was scheduled to finish in 10 months, but the team is working slower than the estimates stated, you could then reforecast and perhaps the project will now look to be finishing in 12 months. That kind of calculation can be easily done with earned value management. It also will highlight trends throughout the project life cycle as well. Points in time over the life cycle can be retrospectively looked at to see where were we working slowly, where did we have overspend, or where were the team most effective. That kind of information is invaluable for lessons learned and can be leveraged for future project activities. Now let's summarize what some of these numbers mean, just to recap what we've gone over before. So, if your CPI is greater than one, what that means is that you're performing well against your cost baseline. In other words, it looks like you're going to use less money than was forecasted. If your CPI is less than one, what that indicates is that you are underperforming against your cost baseline and you are looking to go over budget. Same principle holds true for SPI as well. An SPI that is greater than one means you're ahead of schedule. You are projected to finish before the anticipated schedule or the estimated schedule. An SPI that is less than one would indicate that you are going to go over schedule. You are underperforming against your schedule baseline. You're going to be late. Schedule variance that is greater than one means that you are doing more than you are expected to schedule-wise. You are ahead of schedule. You're getting more work done than you had estimated. If your schedule variance is less than one, that means that you're getting less out of each working day and you are heading towards being over your schedule. You are going to be late. Cost variance, same principle oh, holds true. Any cost variance that is greater than zero, it means that you are going to come in under budget. You're getting more value out of each pound that you're given than you had projected. So your overall budget is going to be lower than your estimated budget. You are overperforming on cost. Same principle again if you are less than one. So if your cost variance is less than one, that means that you are heading for an overrun on your budget. You're going to need to spend more money than you anticipated. 